Well, February is the month of love. Valentine's Day situated right there in the middle at the 14th of the month. So I thought it'd be fun to do this little series on how to love. So we've talked about the last three weeks, how to love God, how to love your spouse, and how to love your neighbor. This week, I had a fun one, how to love your enemies. Oh, nobody, nobody agreed with me that it was any fun. Here's also what happens in the middle of February, and this is why I like the month of February. Pitchers and catchers report to Arizona and Florida for a little thing known as spring training in Major League Baseball. And when you talk about how to love in the month of February, if you're a Cardinals fan, you have to consider your enemies at some point. And so for all of those of you who will put on blue, Mark's kind of laughing, and root for the Chicago Cubs this year, I'll try to love you as best I can, all right? <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk today about enemies. You want to? Nobody thinks that this is any fun. I mean, even I tried to joke about it, and you didn't laugh. Jesus himself knew that it wasn't going to be fun to deal with. This is a very difficult subject when you talk about how to treat, interact with, much less care about and show towards the people that you are supposed to hate with all of your heart. So let's talk about this word enemy a little bit. You want to? I think there's going to be a picture on the screen behind me. I pulled this out of the uh, dictionary, Merriam-Webster. I don't know if those guys fought together, but they made a pretty good dictionary. Maybe they weren't enemies, all right? Here's, uh, here's what the dictionary, English dictionary says about the word enemy. Enemy has three definitions, according to our English, uh, English dictionary. The first is one that is antagonistic to another, especially one seeking to injure, overthrow, or confound an opponent. The second is this, something harmful or deadly. And it gives an example. Dead, uh, deadly alcohol was his greatest enemy. All right, So kind of like a... Uh, substance or something inanimate could be considered an enemy. Then the third definition kind of has uh, two parts. First would be a military adversary, right? The second would be a hostile unit or force. Now what's interesting is in the New Testament, we have examples of all of these types of uses of the word enemy. In fact, let me just share a few with you. And I'm going to start at the bottom of this list and kind of move towards the top. In the New Testament, we do see uh, an enemy referred to in the sense of a hostile unit or even force. In fact, our great enemy is the devil, the adversary, Satan. He's called the accuser. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 39, Jesus was telling a parable about the devil trying to sow seeds of deceit and trick people. In Luke chapter 10, verse 19, we see it spelled out very clearly that Satan is our enemy. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about our enemy, Satan. So we talk about loving our enemy and what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus isn't talking about Satan. He's not talking about a force that stands against him. In fact, Mordecai and I were trying to have this conversation while Bryson was doing the children's sermon. And, you know, in his tender little heart, see, Daddy, we're, we're supposed to love the devil. I said, no, son, we're, we're not supposed to love the devil. 
He's the enemy of God. We love God and we love what God loves. God doesn't love the devil. I can prove it to you. Jesus didn't die for Satan. He died for the sins of mankind. Maybe I need to preach a sermon on that in the coming weeks, all right? But, uh, but this is not what Jesus is talking about, uh, a, a hostile unit or force. And we also have in the New Testament an enemy used in the sense of a military adversary. In Luke chapter 19, verse 43, Jesus is prophesying about the Romans, the military who would come in and lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. He wasn't talking in that sense about the Romans and Jews stopping a war and going out and giving each other hugs on the battlefield. That, that's not what he's talking about. In fact, uh, we've also got a use in the New Testament of an inanimate object being considered an enemy. In fact, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a very famous passage where Paul is teaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He calls death the last enemy, the great enemy of humanity. Jesus defeated death, our enemy, when he died on the cross and rose again. But Jesus is not talking about an enemy in that sense when he says, love your enemies. And that's not what I want to talk with you about today. What I want to talk with you about today is that enemy number one. It's not the nameless, faceless people over there. It's the person that as soon as I said the word enemy, man, they popped up in your mind. You know who I'm talking about. It's the people that when I mention the word enemies... You just want to erase their name from your memory and from every anal of human history. An enemy is somebody who is antagonistic to another human being. It's somebody who seeks to injure, overthrow, or confound an opponent. And this is who Jesus is telling these people to love. The ones that hated them. Jesus is telling them to love the people that they hated as well. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 5 and look with me at verses 43 through 48, be the end of the chapter here. As we consider what Jesus is talking about when he's saying to love your enemies, I want you just to consider the gravity of the situation. Jesus knows this is a difficult subject that nobody wants to talk about. Nobody wants to hear him talk about, much less. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is preaching, and we've come to call it the Sermon on the Mount, because at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, he sits down on the top of a mountainside, and then he teaches all of the crowd that had gathered there. He goes through something called the Beatitudes with them, when he blesses people who have certain character qualities that are in line with the kingdom of God. They're qualities really that a person inherits when they become a child of God. And then Jesus continues to talk to those gathered in the crowd about how they, his disciples, were supposed to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. That is, they were to live different lives than everyone else around them. And then he teaches them that they are to live differently because God himself is different. And when he called out a covenant people in the Old Testament, known as Israel, he expected them to live under a different set of moral guidelines and ethical codes than every other people in the world. That is, God was telling them 
this is how I want you to act and behave because this is who you are as my chosen people. Their behavior was directly related to their identity as God's people. And now Jesus is teaching his followers, your conduct is based out of my character. And so Jesus begins to go through a series of you've heard it said statements. Or it was written statements. In fact, he gives six of them. First in verse 21, he says, you've heard it said that you shall not commit murder. And then in verse 27, he says, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. Then he talks about divorce in verse 31. You've heard what the Old Testament law says there. In in verse 33, he says, you have heard that it was said the ancients were told you shall not make false vows, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. And then he talks about revenge. In verse uh, 38, you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. The very last one of these statements is in verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now in each of these statements, here's what Jesus is doing. You'll notice this in your Bibles if you've got a copy. If you've got a a, a copy of the Bible in front of you, you'll see that in each one of those statements, those phrases are in all caps. Do you see that in your Bibles? Just kind of nod your head if you see that, those statements I just read to you. That means that they are quotes from the Old Testament, all right? Jesus, in other words, is going back to something that these Jewish people already knew. You've heard that it was said, you've read that it was written. This is nothing they didn't know. But what Jesus is doing with each one of these statements is helping them understand what these statements actually mean. In other words, it became very easy for faithful Jews to fulfill the letter of the law, but to completely disregard the heart of the matter. Do you know that? They'd found loopholes. They were legalists. They said, well, you know, we've heard it was said we couldn't commit murder, but that doesn't mean we can't really hurt somebody pretty bad. This was their train of thought. We've heard that it was said don't commit adultery, but what exactly is the act of adultery? You know, maybe maybe if we consider these type of relationships and we don't cross these certain lines, we could engage in some affairs. Well, with, with divorce, you know, God granted a permission for a certificate of divorce, so let's just let's just go ahead and let that thing ride, right? We've got a law about it. With vows, we're, we're not supposed to swear to the, to the Lord, but let's just swear by the throne of heaven instead of using the name of God in vain. We could get away with that, right? Or with revenge itself. After all, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So that means every time somebody does us wrong, we have to do them wrong. That's what that means. And in each one of these scenarios, Jesus is saying, guys... You've taken a good law that I gave you to live by and twisted it to justify your sinful actions. In fact, you'll notice this in verse 43. The only words that are in all caps in verse 43 are these. You shall love your neighbor. You notice that second part of that phrase, and hate your enemy? That's not in all caps. And here's why. It's never mentioned in the Old Testament to hate your enemy. But here's how these people took God's word. They said, well, we're supposed to love our neighbor. 
That doesn't include our enemies. We can hate their guts. Those Chicago Cubs fans, I tell you what. We laugh about that, don't we? We laugh about uh, the idea of, of, of enemies when they're not personal enemies of ours. In fact, let, let's play a game if you want to. I like games on Sunday mornings. It's fun. I'll mention someone and you just you give me an enemy. Or maybe a group of people. And you give me their enemy if you want to. Some of these might hurt a little bit, but it would be fun. Luke Skywalker. All right, good. we got a few Star Wars fans out there. Maybe Star Wars science fiction won't do it for you. Let's go with some uh, literature back from Shakespeare's day. The Montague family. All right, good. Some of you are pretty well read there, too. Good, good. Uh, we, we've already talked about the Cardinals and the Cubs. We don't need to go there. Um, now, how about this one? Republicans. <laughs> there we go. Now we're starting to get somewhere, aren't we? Let, let's dig a little bit deeper here. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Um, conservatives or everybody else, right? Uh, let's, uh, let's, 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 let's go this direction. You want to? You guys want to go there with me today? Uh, some of you really don't want to. Let's try it anyways. Uh, rich people. Or the IRS, maybe you could say that one, couldn't you? Uh, what, what, what about these? These are kind of where it kind of starts to hurt a little bit. Uh, black people? Nobody wants to say white people, do you? All right, good. What about the, uh, the movement Black Lives Matter? Now look. I can start to call out the names of different groups and people and organizations and all kind of stuff, and you're going to keep cringing and go, Jake, this is on Facebook Live. You better not say anything too, too dangerous, okay? But here's the real issue. There's a lot of people in our day and time that have a lot of real enemies. You know how much animosity there is floating around in the air? And we want to change the words of the song. There's not love is in the air. Hate is in the air. Can you just feel it? I mean, it, it does, doesn't it? There are people who get just as impassioned about how much they hate someone as they do about how much they love someone or something. I mean, after all, the second best thing to seeing the Cardinals win the World Series is seeing the Cubs lose. It's just the truth. You want to see your enemies destroyed, debased, humiliated. Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He knew they'd heard it. He knew they'd said it. He knew they felt it. And he knew they believed it. But Jesus tells them something altogether different. In verse 44 of Matthew chapter 5. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Sounds kind of backwards, doesn't it? After all, who lives that way? How could you possibly want, desire to love your enemies? Let me share with you a conversation I had with a couple of our younger ladies back in the Ministry Activities Center a couple weeks ago. 
I told Bryson about this one, and uh, he just kind of laughed. Bryson does a great job as our children's minister, doesn't he? Because you gotta, you got to consider the 90-something uh, little, little children, two years, well, I guess not even all the way to little children, up to sixth grade that are here on Wednesday nights. And, uh, and then also the 40-something children that are coming on Sunday nights. This was a situation that happened on Wednesday night. Bryson was getting all of the, the children who hadn't been picked up yet from Awana to come back to the, to the ministry activity center so that they could be dismissed. And uh, it so happened that as he was doing that, a couple of the girls were fighting in the MAC. And one of them busted another one in the nose. They'd been arguing, but the, the bust in the nose was by accident. They were trying to take a ball away from each other. And so the little girl with, with the bloody nose just came around screaming and hollering. It, yes, this does usually happen at First Baptist Church. We like to bloody people's noses. So this, uh, this girl came around, and she's, she's got a bloody nose. And so I get her a tissue and, and try to help her out. And of course, Miss, Miss Judy was, was, was there trying to help too. And so I try to get these two girls together to, to talk to each other. And it was fun. We, we, we gathered right there in front of the mat closet, kind of in the corner of the gym, away from everybody else. And, um, and one of the girls was significantly younger than the other, like a kindergartner and a fourth grader, right? And the kindergartner was the one with the bloody nose. So you know, it, in my heart of hearts, I'm going, come on, really? You're a fourth grader. You're going to bust a kindergartner in the nose? So this is what I'm thinking. But I thought, well, let's, let's get to the bottom of the matter, right? Let's address the issue. But come to find out, man, there's some real animosity between these two. And between not just these two, but between their friends and their friends, right? And so we're talking about what had happened. And so I asked, uh, I asked the, the fourth grader, I said, why, why is her nose bleeding? She said, well, she kicked me. I said, okay, she kicked you and her nose started bleeding. That's what you're telling me. She said, no, I hit her. Oh, okay, you hit her and her nose started bleeding. I said, well, let me ask you this question. Why did you hit her? Well, because, yeah, and then she goes into the story. They have started arguing over this ball. Yeah, okay, I got it, I got it. And it come to find out that this little girl had kicked the fourth grader. Why did you kick her? Well, she was blocking me from getting in and out of this room. Oh, why were you blocking? Well, because she had this ball and I wanted, oh, okay. And then the story begins to unfold and I realized what had happened. And so we got the details settled. Nose had stopped bleeding at this point. And I looked at both of them and I said, uh, I want to ask you some questions. I want you to tell me yes or no. That's all I want you to say. You understand? Okay, yes, sir. So I looked at the fourth grader. I said, uh, did, did God make you? Yes. Did God make me? She said, yes. I said, did God make her? Point over to the old kindergartner. She said, no. <laughs> I said, you want to try that again? I said, did God make her? I said, yes. I said, all right. And I looked at the little kindergartner. I said, uh, did God make me? Yes. Did God make you? Yes. Did God make her? Yes. I said, all right, let me ask you some more questions. I looked at the fourth grader. I said, uh, did Jesus Christ die on the cross for my sins? She said, yeah. I said, did Jesus Christ die on the cross for your sins? She said, yeah. 
I said, did Jesus Christ die on the cross for her sins? She said, yes. I looked at the kindergartner, asked her the same series of questions. I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to apologize to each other, give each other a hug, and you can go play. So they did. I'm sure it was half-hearted, but they did. And as funny and playful and kind of scary as that story may be, we really don't bloody people's noses up all the time, just in staff meetings on Monday, right? Um, it's also a pretty good picture of what's going on in our own hearts. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times, and Steph will laugh about this, but maybe it came from growing up with a brother two years younger than me. I've come home and told Stephanie before, you know, there's just some people I just really want to punch in the face. I, I don't want to kill them. I don't want to send them to the hospital. Some people have that look, you know. And you just, you just need to deck them one, one time. Just get it out, get it over with. This is usually after staff meetings on Mondays, by the way, Steve. <laughs> so here's, here's the issue. We, we've got those harbored feelings of hatred deep in our hearts. We do. Every single one of us do. And for some of you, the reason this hurts so much is because the enemies are people in your own household. Your family members. For some of you, your enemies are the people that you grew up with and you got older and you're a teenager now and man, things aren't like they used to be. For some of you, your enemies aren't the people across the field or the court from you. They're the people on the bench or in the dugout. Let me say this one, and this is really where it's going to get difficult. For some of you, your enemies aren't somewhere else this morning. They're in this building. There's some things that are in our hearts that we've got to be real honest about. If we're going to love our enemies, the very first thing we've got to do is we've got to admit the animosity that's there. We've got to be honest with ourselves. Yeah, I've got some enemies. Yeah, I know who they are. In fact, this is what Jesus is encouraging these people to do. Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know what you have to do in order to pray for somebody? You have to actually mention their name. Maybe you don't do that out loud, but in your heart of hearts, you've got to say their name in prayer at some point. You've got to admit to the Lord, you've got to admit to yourself, yes, God, we, there's an issue here. And then you've, you've got to... Not just admit that there's animosity, but you've got to identify that particular enemy. When you start to pray for them, the Lord begins to do this interesting work in your heart and in your life. After all, I think Jesus knew that it was very hard to hate someone while you're praying for them. And so he says, love your enemies, just pray for them when they persecute you. Start there. Identify them. Call them out to the Lord. And really, he's asking these people to choose to care about people who may not care about them. 
He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. That one's interesting, isn't it? Let me come back to that phrase at the end. Because God causes His Son, the Son that He created and put in the sky, to rise on the evil and the good. I mean, the sun came up this morning, right? Whether you were evil or good, the sun came up this morning. Hasn't happened the last 30 days because the rain, but today it came up, right? Did the sun choose not to come up on somebody that was bad? Or only come up on people that were No, it, it came up. In other words, this is another way Jesus is saying, God gives life to all people. They have life on this earth. He's created them. They're here. And it also goes on to say, Jesus says, verse 45, that he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, I'm not too familiar with farming and don't know everything in the world by any means. Don't know a little bit by any means. But I, I have gathered this. When it rains, it rains from the sky and uh, farmers don't get to pick where it rains, do they? In fact, God doesn't say, well, you know what? You've been real faithful to me, so I'm going to send rain on your crops. But this guy over here, they hadn't been to church in a while. They hadn't tithed. We're, just, we're not going to let it rain on their crops. He doesn't do that. God gives life to all people, and he takes care. He provides for all people. If God does that, how could we do less? Is Jesus' line of reasoning. And then Jesus goes on to ask these couple questions. In verses 46 and 47, if, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? In fact, it just kind of goes without saying. If somebody loves you and is nice to you, you'll be loving and nice to them back, right? I mean, think about all of the, the cordial ceremony that we go through still in this day and time. Somebody does something nice for you, what do you say to them? Thank you. You don't say, I hate your guts. You say, I th thank you. I appreciate the gift. If, uh, if somebody gives you a present, maybe it's on a birthday, a wedding shower, baby shower, you sit down and write a thank you note, right? Not a hate note. I mean, who in their right mind is going to do that? Jesus says, if you love people that love you, what kind of reward is there in that? They already love you. What do you, what do you expect to gain? And then he says this, do not even the tax collectors do the same. <whistles> Let me tell you, a group of people that these Jews loved, man, they loved them some tax collectors. <coughs> you mean to tell you what Jesus is basically pointing in their face? Hey, guys, you love people that love you. You know better than tax collectors. I imagine that didn't feel too good. I imagine there were probably some people in this group and in that crowd that needed, how to, needed to learn how to love tax collectors. And then in verse 47, he says, If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? I mean, if somebody walks into your house and they know you and you know them, hey, how's it going? It's just normal daily routine, right? You don't get a gold star on your chart for saying hello to your wife when you come in the door. It's just what should happen. But Jesus says, don't, don't even the Gentiles do that same type of thing? 
There's another group of people these Jews hated. They were Gentiles, pagans from the nations. Gentiles were used to refer to any racial group of people other than Jewish people because it was the us versus them, right? Kind of like the Republicans and everyone else. It's Jews and everyone else. This is how they felt about things. Jesus says, guys, if you're loving people that love you and greeting people that greet you, aren't you no better off than the enemies that you say you hate? And the enemies that you say you're better than? And then Jesus says this in verse 48, and it's just astonishing. Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And when we get right down to it, it's hard to love an enemy, isn't it? In fact, Jesus says, really, the only way to love your enemies is to have a love that is different from the love that you possess. Jesus says, if you're going to be perfect and you are an imperfect person, you're going to have to draw this source of perfect love from somewhere outside of your own heart. You're to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I want to go back to this little phrase I told you we'd come back to in verse 45. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. I think the only way for us to love our enemies is for us to realize God's perfect love. And when we realize God's perfect love for us, it causes us to love imperfect people. In fact, there is another few times in the New Testament where this word enemy is used. And here's the thing, it, it's not used in this sense about Satan. It's not used in this sense about a military force. It's not used in this sense about an inanimate object. It's not used in this sense about human to human, it's used in this sense about God and us. Now just let this sink and soak in for a moment. Over in Romans chapter 5 verse 10, we have the Apostle Paul talking about God's great salvation for our sins and describing to us how God chose to love people like we are. In fact, many of you know Romans chapter 5 verse 8. It says, God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But then verses 9 and 10 go on to say this, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. You say, Jake, man, look, you have no idea what so-and-so has done to me, said to me, how many times they've ignored me, trampled over me, mistreated me, abused me. You don't get it. You're right. I don't. But can I share with you, there is one who does. His name is Jesus Christ. And while you were still a sinner, choosing willfully to rebel against God, 
going your own way instead of his way, he chose to love you by sending his only son to die on the cross for your sins. So let me ask you this question. If God created them, and you know the them, they have a face and a name. And if Christ died for them, then what right do you have to hate them? I mean, if God made them and gave life to them and Christ died for them so that they could have eternal life, what right do you have to say, nope, God, not today and not ever? We'd like to protest, but we can't. And here's why, because we know deep down in our hearts there's our own sinfulness, wickedness, evil, and filthiness that before God we have to go, yep, God, thank you for loving me. But in reality, when I was living in sin, I was choosing to live as your enemy. But God, you, you love me enough to forgive me, to accept me, to bring me into your family, to call me your son or your daughter. God, I want to be your son and your daughter. And that's what we want to be, right? But Jesus says, if you want to be sons of your father who is in heaven, if you want to be considered in his bloodline and his family tree, You've got to act like he acts. You've got to do what he does, say what he says, because you are his. In fact, it makes no sense for Christians with the DNA of Christ to walk around harboring hatred and unforgiveness in their hearts. This is where God's perfect love does a work and a number in our own lives, and that work and number continues to be passed on to others around us. God's perfect love causes us to love imperfect people. And there's no telling what would happen if each of us would allow that to take place in our own hearts. Because here's how many of us are living right here and right now. We're living like we're the heroes and the people that we disagree with or the people that we dislike are the villains, aren't we? I mean... The St. Louis Cardinals are always the heroes. The Cubs are always the villains. In my mind, that's just how it works. In your heart and in your mind, you most often, most often, are the hero. Aren't you? And you think that this person that you really can't stand is the villain. And so your thought is, in order to make things right... I've got to be mean to them. I've got to mistreat them. I've got to curse them. I've got to slander them. I've got to hurt them, manipulate them, use them, abuse them, and destroy them. You say, Jake, man, nobody thinks like that. Folks, if nobody thinks like that, why is there so much hatred and animosity in the world around us and even in our own hearts? Deep down, at some point, maybe not even right now at this very moment, but we've had these feelings against someone and towards someone. And reality is this. The people that we call our enemies are actually either our family members or they have the potential to be our family members. Did you know that? The very people that you would say you hate 
are the very people that God created in his own image, just like he made you, and the very people for whom Christ died. Instead of considering them an enemy, maybe you need to consider them for who they are and what they are and whose they are. That they're made in God's image for his honor and glory. That Christ died for them on the cross just like he died for you. And that they may be hurting you because they themselves are hurt. And maybe they come to experience God's love and grace and forgiveness because you show them love and grace and forgiveness. I don't know who they are, but you do. I don't have a name, but you do. As this person's face comes to your mind's eyes, as their name scrolls through the audible memory within your own brain, can I ask you just a couple of questions? Just a few. Just a yes or no answer will be fine. Okay? Did God make me? God make you? Did God make them? Did Jesus die for your sins on the cross? Did he die for my sins on the cross? And did he die for their sins on the cross? It's time we love our enemies and we pray for those that we say we hate. If you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. In just a moment, you're going to hear a song of invitation played. And there may be some very difficult feelings, thoughts, and emotions running through your heart and your mind right now. The only way to have victory in this moment is not to continue fighting against your enemy. It's to love them. It's to bring them before God and just be open and honest and say, God, I can't stand this person. And you know why. God, will you forgive me for my ill feelings? God, would you forgive them for the wrong that they've done? God, I want to mean it. There's part of me that doesn't want to mean it. God, you know it's in my heart. Maybe where you're standing, you just need to talk to him in that way. Maybe you need to come as the song is played and kneel at the altar and give this situation and give your heart and give this person or this group of people over to the Lord. I'll be standing down here in the front if you need to speak with me. This altar is open if you need to come and kneel in prayer. As God calls you this morning.